If you know the living God, then that is what impresses your soul most about Him. Not His power, but His mercy. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they must make their decision quickly, and they wisely do. So they answer, but if not, be it known to you, king, we would not serve your God. So the idea here, they weren't given time. Like before, they were given overnight to think about this and pray over this. They were given no time. They had to make their decision right then and right there, and they did it, and that was a good thing. I think God providentially set it up so that they didn't have time to think about this. Imagine if they had had a day Think it over, Hananiah. Azariah, y'all come back tomorrow. Be prepared to bow tomorrow. Think about this tonight. What would have come into their minds? It's just one bow. Just one bow. Maybe I could just sort of halfway bow. And it's, it's not real. I know it's not real. Now, I know the New Testament's not written yet, but our New Testaments tell us that food offered to an idol, and I, if you know in your heart that that idol is nothing, then eating that food is nothing. So I know that that statue is nothing. It means nothing for me to get down on the ground before, because I know the living God. I will say, and how much more useful am I to God's kingdom alive? God has delivered me through the, the, the food test. He's delivered me through the dream thing. Certainly He doesn't want me to die in a furnace now. I can do so much more for God. Or maybe they would have thought like this. You know, my entire family was killed in Jerusalem. I am the last of my family. If I die in a furnace, what good is that? My family is over. All the things that would have come into their mind. But God graciously didn't give them. They had to answer right then, right there. They already knew their answer. They knew this was coming. This didn't surprise. They weren't blindsided by this. They knew that the day would come when they would either have to bow to the false gods of Babylon or stand. They didn't know when or exactly how, but that statue was unveiled and they said, this is it. We know what we're going to do. And they didn't have time to reconsider it. They made their decision. Sometimes, in God's grace, He doesn't give us the time to mull things over. Because oftentimes when we do mull things over, well, that just opens up a door, doesn't it? But they face this decision, this moral dilemma, this this choice that they have to make. This same type of choice that all of us have to make. And here's how they make the choice. The choice is made by two forces within them. There are two forces in your life. The stronger of those two forces determine your moral choices. You know what those forces are? One of the forces is pressure. Pressure from the world and pressure from your sinful heart. The other force is your convictions. Those are the two forces. It's as simple as that. The stronger of the two determine what your choices will be. If pressure is stronger than convictions, pressure carries the day. If convictions are stronger than pressure, convictions carry the day. Now, the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us how these forces impact upon us. You remember the story of Cain, what God said to Cain after he killed his brother. He says, sin is crouching at the door. You must master it. 
Or remember the words of James in James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and divisions among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? So we have this pressure within, this sinful desire within, and we have a world without. Both of them are applying pressure to our convictions. And if our convictions are not stronger than the pressure, the pressure is what wins. This is why we spent so much time in chapter 1 talking about Christian conscience. Because conscience is all that carries them through right now. That's the only reason that they stand and not bow. Because their conscience, remember how we said, is, has been informed by the Scriptures and it's been restored by the work of the Holy Spirit, illumined by the work of the Holy Spirit, and strengthened by their obedience to the Scriptures. And that has refined their conscience so that their conscience is now working more like it was designed to work. And it's been strengthened, it's been upheld through their obedience. And therefore, this conscience is a stronger force than the pressure that comes against them. And that was a strong pressure. Smoke is a very detectable smell, isn't it? Do you ever stand beside a campfire and not know that you're standing beside a campfire? They're standing there smelling that smoke, feeling that heat. And it's right there. That had to have been um, intense pressure. I've read that one of the most painful ways to die is being burned alive. Intense pressure. Intense. Yet their convictions have been strengthened and their convictions are stronger than the pressure that's coming against them. So now verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Filled with fury. There is no reason for you not to bow. The only reason for you not to bow is because you hate me. That sound familiar? The only reason for you not to bow to my God is because you personally dislike me. He was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed. Now, literally... The image of his face was changed. Now here's a wonderful wordplay that we miss in the English. But literally the image of his face was changed. So here's, here's the connection that we see here. The whole thing, the whole story is about, technically not a statue, what's called an image. So there's the image. The image is Nebuchadnezzar. And the image is God. Now these people won't bow before the image. And so the image of Nebuchadnezzar's face falls. See the wordplay that's going on here? When Hananiah, Mishaiah, and Azariah will not bow to the image, oh, well, that's like a crack. Everything changes then. Nebuchadnezzar's face falls, his image changes, his countenance falls. Why? Because somebody has stood. Somebody didn't bow. You see, when everybody bows, that's one story. When everything, when everyone is bowing to the God of the age, that's one thing. But when Christians stand and say, we will not bow, that's when cracks show up in the armor. That's when the countenance changes. That's when the image changes. So it was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Just in case the Jewish God could save them from a normally heated furnace, He's going to heat it up to a superheated furnace. Seven times. Now, we shouldn't take that literally. It's an expression. It wasn't literally seven times, but you know how we use the same expression. I'll say things like, you know, I like that restaurant ten times more than that. And I don't mean ten times. It's this expression. They had the same sort of expression. Their expression, seven. Now, what's the meaning there? Again, their society is based on sixes. Seven times means, well, six and one more. Seven times. Heat it up seven times. In other words, just... 
Heat it as hot as you possibly can. Heat it seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered that some of the mighty men of his army be to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments. Now, we could easily miss over that. But if we pay a little bit of attention, that word hats there in the ESV is, is literally turbans. Who wears turbans? The Jewish people wear turbans. Babylonian people wear turbans. Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah are dressed like Babylonians. Of all the artist renderings I've ever seen of Daniel in the lion's den and the three friends in the fiery furnace, what are they wearing? The traditional Hebrew loose-fitting garb. They were dressed like Babylonians. They were wearing the turbans. They were wearing the Babylonian dress. Here's what that means. Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah weren't picking for a fight. They weren't saying, oh, we're not going to dress like these Babylonians. We're going to dress in our traditional dress. No. They said, in whatever ways we can comply, we will. Because we're not itching for a fight. We're not looking for something to fight over. So we'll wear the turban. Yeah, we'll do this. We'll, we'll eat the food. We'll wear the turban. We'll wear the shoes. We'll do this. Because if we don't have to fight over this, we won't. That should be the spirit of the Christian who is the exile in a foreign land. We're not looking for fights. We're not looking for things to be picky over. But when Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when we have a choice between obeying God or obeying man, there's where our choice comes. They understand where their choice lies. They understand what hill to fight on. And it's not the turbans. So they're bound in their clothes. And another thing that would do is that would make them even more flammable, right? Because this wasn't the day of fire-retardant polyester blend clothing. Their their clothing would have made them even more flammable. They're bound up in their clothing and they're dragged off to the fiery furnace. Verse 21, Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I take that to mean the king's order was urgent. Nebuchadnezzar's yelling, get them in there, get them in there, right now, get them in there, hurry up. He is just livid. And so because everything is so rushed and, and sort of chaotic, plus the furnace is too hot, they sort of get too close, their clothes catch on fire, and probably they succumb to their injuries maybe sometime later. That's, I think, I take that to mean how they were burned up in the fire. But an important, we could spend more time on this, but an important point to see is the fire consume their captors, not them. So they are consumed by the fiery furnace. Verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. So he now sees four figures in there walking around. So they're walking around, which means that they're not doing what? Desperately trying to escape. They're walking around. We don't know what they're... What are they talking about? What's the topic of conversation in a furnace? I'm not sure, but they're just walking around. And we're also told that they're unbound. I could make a whole sermon out of this, but I won't. The only thing the persecution burned was their bindings. There's a sermon right there. The only thing the fire of persecution burned was that which bound them. 
So they're unbound walking around. There's four figures in there walking in the midst of them, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. If you're reading from the King James, it says the Son of God, capitalized. So who was in the furnace? There's two choices, an angel or Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's impossible to know. The wording, the word choice here allows for both. Here's what it doesn't allow for. It doesn't allow for the Son of God. Grammatically, that's possible. Contextually, it's impossible. Nebuchadnezzar was a polygamist. Not a polygamist, polytheist. He might have been a polygamist too, but he was a polytheist, which means he believes in all kinds of gods. Even the Jewish, Hananiah, Mishael, and Israel, they even they don't have a clear perception of the Trinitarian God. Even they couldn't explain to you the Son of God. So for Nebuchadnezzar to say, oh, that's the second person of the Trinity, contextually that's impossible. But it could be a son of the gods, meaning Jesus, as he often appears in the Old Testament. He appeared to Joshua. Uh, he appears to Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah. He appears... Uh, Elijah, remember the Elijah story? Four times he appears in 1 Kings 19. So it could be the pre-incarnate Jesus or it could be an angel. There's good arguments for both sides. For the argument for an angel, usually when we see Jesus in the Old Testament, usually the phrase is the angel of the Lord. That's not the phrase here. That's not definitive because there's other occasions like Genesis 19 where the phrase is not used. So it's possible. Later on in chapter 6, Daniel is going to specifically say that God sent his angel. So it seems to lean towards an angel in chapter 6 in the lion's den, perhaps the same thing here. Honestly, there's no way to know for sure whether the being in the furnace was Jesus Christ or the being was an angel that God sent. But you know what? The point is exactly the same either way. The point is... God did not leave them alone in the furnace. That's the whole point. He was with them in the furnace, whether that be His angel or whether that be His Son. So this being inside, this Nebuchadnezzar describes it as this divine type of being. We don't know what that means. Maybe He was three feet taller than the others. Maybe He was just different in form or maybe it was just some sort of supernatural perception that Nebuchadnezzar just looked and said, there's something different about that fourth figure. We don't know. But in whatever case, God is with them in the furnace. That is the whole point that they are not left alone in the furnace. God's ultimate promise is the point of the book. They will not be left alone. They will be delivered. They might die in the furnace. They might live through the... But ultimately... God will not leave them alone. He will not forsake them. He will be with them through their trials. He will be with them. As Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Or Exodus 3 and verse 12, I will be with you. Or the words of Jesus in what we know of as the Great Commission, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here's this presence of God in the midst of this I mean, literally, the, the metaphor couldn't be more powerful. In the midst of the fire, 
Here is this presence of God with them. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar has to summon them out of the fire. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the pre- here we go again, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. That is a wonderful translation. The power of the fire had no power over their bodies. So here these groups, are, these, these leaders are gathered together again and they see him come out. Imagine how they felt. According to the satire of the chapter, these people should have known. That thing up there is just a statue. It's not worthy of us bowing down to it. It's ridiculous for us to bow down, but we'll do it anyway. And here's these three who didn't, and their God delivers them. Just th- What are they thinking right now? What's going through their mind? The fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not even singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. I don't know if you've ever had a fire. I've never had a fire. but If you've ever had, had a fire, everything in that house is ruined, isn't it? Because if it didn't get burned up, it will stink forever of smoke. So here are these clothes that don't even smell of smoke as they come out. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Isn't that the mantra of today? You're hearing it this weekend on high gear. My body, my choice. No such thing for the believer. They yielded up their bodies. Remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1? This is your spiritual worship to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul tells the, the Corinthians, you're not your own. You've been bought with the price. You belong to another. And so Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they yield up their bodies because they know their bodies are not their own. Verse 29, and then, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So he makes this threat. Nobody can speak against this God. This doesn't mean that he's converted to faith. It means that Nebuchadnezzar, the polytheist that he is, just simply believes that, well, their God is true and looks like he's pretty powerful. He's the most powerful of all. We'll give him that. Nebuchadnezzar here is impressed with the miraculous, but nevertheless, he's really not impressed with that which he should be most impressed with, is he? Those who don't know God tend to be most impressed with the idea of His power. But those who know God, we tend to be most impressed with not His power, but His love, His mercy, His grace, His compassion. If you know the living God, then that is what impresses your soul most about Him. Not His power, but His mercy. Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't know Him, is most impressed with this miracle that he just saw. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. One last thing for us to see. 
Nebuchadnezzar displays here what we could just call classic pagan thinking. It goes like this. I've offended this God. I'll make it up by doing something good for His people. In other words, you do something wrong, make it up by doing something right. That is classic pagan thinking that has absolutely infiltrated the church to a shameful degree. This idea that God keeps a list and the whole point of the list is one side of the list has to be bigger than the other side of the list. You've just got to make up. Everybody knows we sin and we do these wrong things, but here's what we're expected to do. We're, we're expected to make up for that by doing right things and by doing good things. That is classic, heathen, paganistic thinking that Nebuchadnezzar has no choice to think but to think this way because he is a pagan. But we as God's people have no excuse for thinking this way. Because you know why? All the good deeds in the world, could you do them? All of the good deeds in the world wouldn't make up for one sin committed against the holy, eternal, majestic God. doesn't work that way. You can't make up for offending Him by doing good things. All of us stand condemned in the same way. And therefore, there is only one who can rescue us. There is only one who can rescue us from the eternal fiery furnace. And that's the one who did no wrong. Whose purity and holiness are offered to us by faith. Faith alone. So Christian, guard yourself. You have to do this daily. Guard yourself against falling into that way of thinking. I messed up on this. I failed on that. I sinned in that. That's okay. I'll make it up over here. You can't. The rest of your life, you can't make it up. You can only fall at the feet of the Savior who lived the perfect life for us and committed this great exchange on the cross where He became our sin and we became His righteousness. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.